0: Developments come, developments they go It's hard to tell the sizzle from the fizzle, you know But you can trust your friends here at Old St. Joe Come join us down at Summer Camp It's all laid out on a low wet land There's lots of pygmy rattlers and moccasins We had some old black bears, but we shot all them you see we aim to please at summer camp so we'll build you a house fast and cheap on a lot with a ditch where there used to be a creek think of all the new rich georgia folks that you get to meet your friendly new neighbors at summer camp summer camp oh summer camp a paid Political to you by the governor and his lobbyists. Come on down summer camp. Dog flies and no
1: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 18th day of May, 2008. As my regular listeners will no doubt be able to tell, the new microphone has arrived, and we are sounding better and more professional than ever. Once again, my heartfelt thank you to everyone who helped contribute to our chip-in event to raise money for this new microphone. With your generous support, the Corbett Report podcast will continue to grow, expand, and improve. Thank you once again for all of your generous contributions. This week, once again, I'd like to ask that my listeners not contribute to my chip-in event for a new telephone to upgrade our telephone interview capabilities. But instead, I'd like to ask my listeners to go to InfoWarsMoneyBomb.com. InfoWarsMoneyBomb.com, where you can find out about the new InfoWars money-raising event. Alex Jones is currently raising money to start construction on a soundstage, hire crew, buy new video cameras and attempt to start his own cable television show. This is, of course, exciting news in the Infowar, and I'd like to get my listeners in support of this event. Please go to my homepage, corbettreport.com, and under the current time index, you'll find a link to both the InfoWarsMoneyBomb.com site and the article from InfoWars.com explaining the event and what they will use the capital for. Again, I encourage all my listeners to go check it out, and please donate generously to the Infowars Moneybomb. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Today's first news story comes from PrisonPlanet.com. Friday, May 16th, 2008. Rumsfeld on tape. Terror attack could restore neocon agenda. Shocking excerpts of confidential recordings recently released under the Freedom of Information Act feature former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld talking with top military analysts about how a flagging neocon political agenda could be successfully restored with the aid of another terrorist attack on America. The tape also includes a conversation where Rumsfeld and the military analysts agree on the possible necessity of installing a brutal dictator in Iraq to oversee U.S. interests. The most extraordinary exchange takes place when Lieutenant General Michael DeLong bemoans shrinking political support for neocon war plans on Capitol Hill, and suggests that sympathy for the Bush administration's agenda will only be achieved after a new terror attack. Rumsfeld agrees that the psychological impact of 9-11 is wearing off, and the behavior pattern of citizens in both the U.S. and Europe suggests they are unconcerned about the threat of terror. Our second story comes from The Economist by way of seattlepi.com. May 8, 2008. Billion-dollar babies, the new global ruling class. Who rules the world? The most familiar answers to this question are so poisoned by paranoia that it is tempting to dismiss the question itself. If the Jews are so powerful, then why have they had such a dreadful time of things? If the men and women of Davos are so mighty, then why do they keep messing everything up? Yet the fact that so many people give foolish answers to a question does not discredit the question. The rise of nation-states produced national ruling classes. It would be odd if the current integration of the world economy did not produce new global elites, business people and financiers who run global companies and global politicians who steer supranational organizations such as the European Union and the International Monetary Fund. David Rothkopf, a visiting scholar at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, argues in his new book, Superclass, the Global Power Elite and the World They Are Making, that these elites constitute nothing less than a new global superclass. They have all the clubby characteristics of the old national ruling classes, but with the vital difference that they operate on the global stage, far from mere national electorates. They attend the same universities— Rothkopf calculates that Harvard, Stanford, and the University of Chicago are now the world's top three superclass producers. They are groomed in a handful of world-spanning institutions such as Goldman Sachs. They belong to the same clubs. The Council on Foreign Relations in New York is a particular favorite, and sit on each other's boards of directors. Many of them shuttle between the public and private sectors. They meet at global events such as the World Economic Forum at Davos and the Trilateral Commission, or, for the creme de la creme, the Bilderberg meetings, or the Bohemian Grove seminars that take place every July in California. Our final story this week comes from jonesreport.com, May fifteenth, two 2008. Bohemian Grove member confronted in telephone interview. The Corbett Report decided to call up Barry Cooper a political theory and social sciences professor at the University of Calgary who happens to be one of many Bohemian Grove members whose name appears in the 2006 roster that was sent anonymously to the InfoWars office. Many of these members belong to the world of academia and some are even listed alongside their university. Cooper admitted to being a member of the Bohemian Club and to attending the Grove annually, but declined to further discuss what goes on at the power meeting though he did deny taking part in the cremation of care ritual that Grove members take part in each year. The Corbett Report asked a number of poignant questions that Cooper left untouched, among them one addressing the lack of transparency about the real political power structure, even as Cooper himself admits he leaves his students in the dark about what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, Dr. Barry Cooper, I understand that you're a member of the Bohemian Club of San Francisco.
2: Well, I, I am. Um, it's a
3: social club, and and it's one of the attributes of it is we don't talk about it.
1: I see. Is there anything that you can talk about regarding that club? No. I see. Are you planning on going to the Grove this year? I think I will be, yes. Oh, I see. Have you ever participated in the cremation of care ritual? No? No. I see. Uh, Have you ever invited Prime Minister Stephen Harper to the Grove? No. I see. Uh, Do you ever mention the Grove when you're talking to your students about the power structures that govern global geopolitics? I doubt it. Don't you think it would be a good idea to talk about two-week outings with presidents and advisors and academics and other luminaries in front of 40-foot stone owls?
3: (laughs) I don't know. I mean... Generally what I do in my classes is, is I take texts
2: and uh, discuss what the, what the texts mean.
1: I see. And uh, were you aware that uh, in the year 2000, documentary filmmaker Alex Jones actually crashed the, the Bohemian Grove ritual and uh, got some footage of the Cremation of Care ritual out that's now widely available on the web? No really do you you find that interesting i don't know apparently so (laughs) well I, i i recommend that you check that out actually it's quite some interesting footage and i think it it it's one of those things that perhaps doesn't come up in political science classes but which might have some bearing on the political situation that we're we're in these days hello dr cooper
3: yeah i'm still here yeah
1: Is there anything at all that you can tell us about the Bohemian Club?
2: Nothing that you probably couldn't find on the web.
1: Okay. Well, excellent. Well, if you uh, run into David Rockefeller or Henry Kissinger this year at the club, could you give them a a message that the people are waking up to the real political power structure that governs the world and that the New World Order will not stand?
3: (laughs) Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to convey your message.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Dr. Cooper.
4: You're
1: welcome. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> welcome to episode 42 of the Corbett Report The Bohemian Grove. Now, perhaps some of you out there have no idea what the preceding interview was about. Others of you perhaps followed the Infowars.com story about the preceding interview to find this Corbett Report podcast for the first time. Regardless, today we will be delving into the Bohemian Club of San Francisco and finding out what it's really about. Let's start our investigation today with some of the whitewash reports about the Bohemian Grove that have leaked out in the controlled corporate media over the years. Now like any secretive and ultra-exclusive club like the Bohemian Club of San Francisco whose members include presidents, advisors, academics, technocrats, and other luminaries of the American and indeed the global geopolitical power structure. The very exclusivity of that membership list ensures that there will be a certain amount of information about the club leaked out in the controlled corporate media. But, to be sure, the information that is leaked out is carefully vetted to make sure it's okay for public consumption. One example of this is a 1981 news report about the Bohemian Grove, which is available on YouTube. This news report comes directly from the ABC News archives, which you can see when you watch the video. You can see the original ABC timestamp. This indicates that someone on the inside, someone with access to the ABC News archives, is actually leaking out some of these old reports, perhaps in an attempt to tell people something about some of these stories which have been leaked and then safely buried in the memory hole. For more examples of these puzzling leaks of information, you might want to check out the YouTube account of the person hosting this file. He goes under the name of Jake Tom 3 and some of his other videos include archival news footage about the 1989 prostitution scandal which reached the White House and which we featured in episode 39 of the Corbett Report, Who is Jeff Gannon? Let's turn to this 1981 ABC News report now to try to find out a little bit more about the Bohemian Club of San Francisco and their Bohemian Grove.
5: Now a question. What have Herbert Hoover, Art Linkletter, Jack London, and Richard Nixon all had in common? Well, they've all been members of the exclusive All-Male Bohemian Club in California, where every year at this time, the elite from around the country get together for two and a half weeks of uh, fun and games. Steve Shepard has this special assignment report. More than 2,000 members of San Francisco's exclusive and All-Male Bohemian Club have once again descended on Northern California. These men will spend most of the month of July encamped on some 2,700 acres of pristine and privately owned redwood forest. forest very much like this. The place is called Bohemian Grove, and it's located just 80 miles north of San Francisco. The grove is the Bohemian Club's summer retreat, and its facilities are hidden beneath lush forest canopy extending south from the banks of Sonoma County's Russian River. For more than a century, the camp has been a place where club members and guests from all across America gather to relax. The retreat is divided into dozens of small camps, the most prominent of which is called Mandalay. Among its members are businessmen like Leonard Firestone and Edgar Kaiser, and political figures like Gerald Ford, Henry Kissinger, William French Smith, and George Schultz. President Reagan, Vice President Bush, and Defense Secretary Weinberger are members of other camps. Richard Nixon is a Bohemian, and so are high-ranking executives of such companies as Eastern Airlines, Standard Oil of Indiana, and Bank of America. For the most part, the men of Bohemian Grove are over 50, highly successful, and, according to many employees, politically conservative.
2: Well,
3: each year, uh, many of them seem to have a stunt, uh, or try to come up with a stunt. Last year, in 1980, the popular button was uh, Free the Fortune 500.
5: Membership in the Grove is by invitation only, and is determined by such factors as social standing, occupation, and personal connections. Privacy is one of the Grove's most cherished virtues. Members may not photograph, record, speak, or write about activities at the retreat. While many public officials are Grove members, the press is a distinctly unwelcome guest. We're from ABC News.
4: Well, get back there. Get back there.
5: Can we talk to somebody and... uh... Get
4: back there.
5: Anyone willing to navigate a boat up the Russian River can get a glimpse of the northern edge of the compound, but that's about all. Still, there are outsiders who have researched the Grove. Sociology professor William Dumhoff found out enough to write a book on the place.
3: Well, I think it's a playground for the powerful. It's a place where uh, wealthy men from all of the United States gather for two weeks to uh, relive summer camp with this ceremony called the Cremation of Care that uh, begins the, uh, the uh, two-week encampment where the body of dull care, symbolizing woes and concerns, is
5: burned on an altar in front of a big owl statue.
3: When that ceremony ends, they all start to cheer and yell and hand each other a beer. And...
5: Other regular activities include the production of two plays, one of which involves major sets, orchestral music, and extravagant costumes. The other play appears to be just a bit on the lighter side, at least judging from these old photos. Members also spend time swimming, hiking, relaxing in the sun, and doing a bit of drinking from the Grove's own privately-labeled spirits. Like a boys' camp, the Grove has a symbol, in this case, a somewhat fierce-looking owl. It also has a patron saint, St. John of Nepomuk, a legitimate 13th-century bohemian canonized for his sense of honor. What the Grove does not have is any women, not even as employees. Despite its camp-like atmosphere, the Grove does host some serious business.
3: To the degree that there's anything important happens at the Bohemian Grove, it's political. The important speeches that have been made by, at the Bohemian Grove have been made, for instance, and the best example, by Richard Nixon. Eisenhower gave a speech there. It was the first time the uh, West Coast establishment really saw him close up.
5: Discussions at the Grove in the 1930s helped lead to the development of nuclear power and the atomic bomb. It was at the Grove in 1967 that Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan hashed out differences over their presidential ambitions. Each year, guests like Henry Kissinger or Spignu Brzezinski address members on their areas of expertise. Presidential Counselor Edwin Meese will be among this year's speakers. And each year, other guests come to the Grove simply to enjoy themselves. This year, CIA Director William Casey is a scheduled guest of John McCone, former CIA Director. Baseball Commissioner Bowie Kuhn has been invited as a guest of baseball owner Peter O'Malley. Despite the presence of so many notables, the Grove is not without its small headaches. Anti-nuclear demonstrators gathered near the entrance to the retreat this year to wave signs and chant slogans. The Grove is also facing a suit from the state of California because it refuses to hire women. Still, the Bohemian Grove seems in no danger of passing. Herbert Hoover called it the world's greatest men's party, and there is a list of powerful people waiting to get in on it. Steve Shepard, ABC News, San Francisco.
1: Well, there you go, nothing to worry about. It sounds like a nice little summer getaway, a little retreat into the great outdoors for the political elite, somewhere where they can hobnob and rub shoulders without the glaring eye of the press that's always hounding them. Nothing to worry about, really. And that's generally the impression one would get when one reads the news reports that have managed to leak out in the controlled corporate media over the years. One example of this is an article from Spy Magazine in 1989, where the reporter Philip Weiss actually managed to penetrate the grove and snuck around undetected for several days. He wrote an article entitled Masters of the Universe Go to Camp Inside the Bohemian Grove. This report is basically a well-known whitewash that attempts to portray the Bohemian Grove as little more than a big-boy frat party where people like to get drunk and run around being foolish for a couple of weeks. Nothing really important, just some of the most important men in the world rubbing shoulders and acting like hooligans for a couple of weeks. A representative sample of this article reads in part, You know you're inside the Bohemian Grove when you come down a trail in the woods and hear piano music from amid a group of tents and then round a bend to see a man with a beer in one hand and his penis in the other, urinating into the bushes. This is the most gloried-in ritual of the encampment, the freedom of powerful men to pee wherever they like, a right the club has invoked when trying to fight government anti-sex discrimination efforts, and one curtailed only when it comes to a few popular redwoods just outside the dining circle. Tacked to one of these haplessly postprandial trees as a sign conveying the fairy dust mixture of boyishness and courtliness that envelops the encampment. Gentlemen, please, no pee-pee here. Everything in the encampment is sheltered by redwoods, which admit hazy shafts of sunlight, and every camp has a more or less constant campfire spending a soft column of smoke into the trees. The walled camps are generally about 100 feet wide and stretch back up the hillside, with wooden platforms on which members set up tents. Bohemians sleep on cots in those tents, or in the richer camps, in redwood cabins. The camps are decorated with wooden or stone sculptures of owls, the grove symbol. Members wash up in dormitory-style bathrooms and eat breakfast and dinner collectively in the dining circle, a splendid outdoor arena with fresh wood chips covering the ground and only the sky above. It never rains when the encampment is on. During the day, idleness is encouraged. There are a few rules, the most famous one being weaving spiders come not here. In other words, don't do business in the grove. The rule is widely ignored. Another... Unwritten rule is that everyone drink, and that everyone drink all the time. This rule is strictly adhered to. His method was to seize a large horse bucket, throw a hunk of ice into it, pour in several bottles of gin and half a bottle of vermouth, and slosh it all around, goes one grove recipe. The traditional 7 a.m. gin fizzes served in bed by camp valets set the pace. Throughout the skeet shooting, the domino playing, and the museum talks, Right up through the afterglows that follow each evening's entertainment, everyone is perpetually numbed and loose, but a clubbish decorum prevails just the same. No one throws up. Now and then, though, a bohemian sits down in the ferns and passes out. End quote. Again, that's a typical example from that whitewash article that attempts to portray the club as just a political power elite gone wild drinking party. And that theme has been picked up again and again in the various whitewashes that have come out about the Grove over the years. Some other more serious ones have even come from, for example, the Sociology Department of the University of California at Santa Cruz, which wrote an article in April of 2005 called Social Cohesion and the Bohemian Grove, the Power Elite at Summer Camp. This article stresses that the Bohemian Grove, quote, is not a place of power, It's a place where the powerful relax, enjoy each other's company, and get to know some of the artists, entertainers, and professors who are included to give the occasion a thin veneer of cultural and intellectual pretension. Despite the suspicion of many on the right, and a few on the left, it is not a secret meeting place to plot, plan, or conspire. The most important decisions typically happen just where we might expect, in the boardrooms of corporations and foundations, at the White House, and in the backrooms of Congress. Yes, as I show later, some wannabe and has-been Republican politicians sometimes visit the Bohemian Grove, including future and former presidents of the United States, but they are there to demonstrate what wonderful human beings they are, to cultivate potential financial backers, or to brag about their past exploits. Readers who suspect that every gathering of the rich and the powerful has some deeper purpose may doubt this claim, at least until they see my evidence. For those who still might question my conclusions after reading this article, I recommend reading an excellent first-hand account of the Bohemian Grove by a journalist from Spy Magazine who snuck into the encampment in 1989. The author had every incentive to tell it exactly as he saw it. In fact, every person who has written seriously on the Bohemian Grove agrees. Even though they provide evidence that there is a socially cohesive upper class in the United States, the activities at the Grove are harmless. The Grove encampment is a bunch of guys kidding around, drinking with their buddies and trying to relive their youth and often acting very silly. These activities do contribute to social cohesion as an unintended consequence, which is why I decided to study the Bohemians in the first place, but the Grove is merely a playground for the powerful and their entertainers that give us a window into a lifestyle that is far removed from that of average Americans. End quote. Yes, indeed, nothing to see here, just a bunch of guys drinking in the forest, and uh, yeah, if you don't believe me, take a look at that 1989 spy magazine report that came out that shows that it's really nothing that important. There's nothing to see. Of course, one might wonder how that 1989 spy magazine report got published, while certain other stories about reporters who had similarly snuck into the Bohemian Grove got killed. The stories, that is, not the reporter's. Information about that aspect of the unreported stories comes from an organization called Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, which you can find at fair.org. And in the November-December 1991 issue of their magazine Extra, they wrote an article entitled Inside Bohemian Grove, the story People Magazine won't let you read. This article reads in part, quote, When Dirk Matheson, San Francisco Bureau Chief for People Magazine, infiltrated the exclusive Bohemian Grove retreat this summer, he got a view into the U.S. elite that very few reporters have glimpsed. Unfortunately, that elite includes the management of Time Warner, the owner of People, which prevented Matheson from telling the story. Few journalists have gotten into the Grove and been allowed to tell the tale. One exception is Philip Weiss, whose November 1989 spy piece provides the most detailed inside account and members maintain that the goings-on there are not newsworthy events, merely private fun. In fact, official business is conducted there. Policy speeches are regularly made by members and guests, and the club privately boasts that the Manhattan Project was conceived on its grounds. Given the veil of secrecy that surrounds the Bohemian encampment, a reporter needs to enter the grounds covertly in order to get a full portrait. Matheson entered the grounds three times in July 1991, aided by activists from the Bohemian Grove Action Network. He witnessed a speech, Smart Weapons, by former Navy Secretary John Lehman, who stated that the Pentagon estimates that 200,000 Iraqis were killed by the U.S. and its allies during the Gulf War. Other featured speakers include Defense Secretary Richard Cheney on major defense problems of the 21st century, former Health, Education, and Welfare Secretary Joseph Califano on America's Health Revolution, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Pays, and former Attorney General Elliot Richardson on Defining the New World Order. Matheson's entree into the secret world of the Grove was cut short on July 20th, however, when he was recognized by two of the participants in the festivities, executives from Time Warner, People's publisher. More loyal to the Grove than to journalistic endeavor, they had the reporter removed from the premises. Matheson already had plenty of material, however, and turned in an article to his editors, which was scheduled to appear in the August 5th, 1991 issue. They were pleased with the piece, according to Matheson. They liked it enough to expand it a bit, he told Extra. But then the story was suddenly killed. Landon Jones, managing editor of People, told Extra that the decision had nothing to do with the Time Warner executives. It was cut partially because he hadn't been there long enough to get a complete story— Secondly, we felt very uncertain about reporting what we did have because, and this is my fault and I take responsibility for this, I simply didn't realize it was technically trespassing. For his part, Matheson said he did not know why the story was killed and implied it would be nearly impossible to find the real reason. It's easier to penetrate the Bohemian Grove than the Time Life Building, he told Extra. But the story raises questions about the ability of a media entity to report critically on an elite when its executives are enthusiastic members of that elite. Indeed, the Time organization was noted for sending a corporate plane to the Bohemian gathering every year, according to longtime Grove watcher Carrie Richardson. Time Warner is not the only media corporation with Bohemian connections. The list of fourth estate bigwigs who have been members or guests is extensive. Franklin Murphy the former CEO of the Times-Mirror Corporation, William Randolph Hearst, Jr., Jack Howard and Charles Scripps of the Scripps-Howard newspaper chain, Tom Johnson, president of CNN and former publisher of the Los Angeles Times. When Associated Press President Louis Bucardi spoke at one of the gross Lakeside Talks about kidnapped reporter Terry Anderson, he referred to his audience as men of power and rank and gave them more details than he said he was willing to give his readers. Walter Cronkite, now on the CBS board, hangs out at the same lodge at Bohemian Grove as George Bush and the former chairs of Procter & Gamble and Bank of America. Cronkite's voice has served as the voice of the Owl of Bohemia, a fixture in the club's mock-druidic rituals. The media figures attending the retreat all agree not to report on what goes on inside. The prohibition seems to apply to reporters who are not guests or members as well. In 1982... NPR got a recording of Henry Kissinger's speech at the Grove, but declined to air it. Also in 1982, a Time reporter went undercover as a waiter in Bohemian Grove. Like Matheson's People article, his story was killed. End quote. So why the secrecy? Obviously, there are some important policy speeches going on here, including, of course, former Attorney General Elliot Richardson's wonderful speech, no doubt, defining the New World Order. But these are public figures like politicians, academics, and yes, the heads of major press companies who are supposed to be setting the global political agenda. Why are these talks given in secret? Well, one of the obvious answers to that question is that there's a certain level of information that's meant to be for public consumption and a different strata altogether of information for the global power elite. ...that they can use to make their own informed decisions. Well then what else is going on at the Bohemian Grove that we don't know about? For that, we'll have to turn to some real research. Now we'll turn to Alex Jones, one of the researchers, documentary filmmakers, and radio talk show hosts... ...that my listeners know quite well by now. If you haven't seen it yet, I heartily recommend that you watch Dark Secrets Inside Bohemian Grove a 2000 documentary by Alex Jones containing footage of when he snuck into the Bohemian Grove in July 2000, coming out with what at the time was the only hidden camera footage of the grove in existence and what remains the only footage available for public consumption of one of their bizarre mock druidic rituals, the cremation of care ceremony. Let's listen to a clip from Dark Secrets Inside Bohemian Grove, where Alex Jones discusses a little bit about the real history and the real significance of this ultra-exclusive summer encampment.
6: The Bohemian Club, as it's known today, was founded in 1873 in San Francisco in Northern California. Many of the club's original annals, dating back to before the turn of the century, admit that local artists... Writers, newspapermen, you name it, wanted a place away from the so-called backwardsness of the West Coast, the Judeo-Christian ethic. They found that place an hour and a half north of San Francisco, outside of the tiny town of Monterio. Their annals even admit an obsession with the occult and what they called druid rituals. Amongst the great redwood trees, they revived ancient ceremonies that in truth had their roots not in the druids but in babylon itself as the railroads brought commerce and larger and larger populations the prestige of the club grew until in the year two thousand it is a gathering place for the world establishment the elite we're about to show you some of the key evidence documenting this It is absolutely central to understand that these bizarre activities have been engaged in going back to 1873 and are not some new fanciful whim of the trendies on the West Coast. By the turn of the century, there was already a 10- to 15-year waiting list. Presidents from Howard Taft to Herbert Hoover were on the membership roster. Not to mention later, famous War General Dwight D. Eisenhower later to become president. The roster of the Bohemian Club reads like a who's who of the elite. Look at this photo taken inside the Grove back in 1963. There you'll see Ronald Reagan and sitting two people over from him, later to become president, Richard Milhouse Nixon. Frankly, we don't know if these men actively enjoy the things that go on inside the Bohemian Club. But one thing is perfectly certain from the evidence. They are forced to go and attend and take part in these activities if they wish to be elevated to the highest levels of the geopolitical power structure. Take George Bush Sr., documented member, and then, of course, there's his son. Now, the last four generations of Bushes have also attended the Skull and Bone Society at Yale, well known to be steeped in the occult. Then there's Bill Clinton, a frequent attendee. Upon closer inspection, the entire federal government at the highest levels is infested with Bohemian Club members. And it doesn't stop there. America's private run-for-profit Federal Reserve Bank, from its very inception in 1913, has been run by prominent members of the Bohemian Club. Central Bank Chairman Alan Greenspan was seen leaving the Bohemian Grove only one month before he was appointed Chairman of the Federal Reserve. He had to be a made man. To be a member of the most powerful Kubal on the planet. Historical records are clear for major universities. The Manhattan Project was planned and instituted and run from the Bohemian Club. All of this going on in an atmosphere of bizarre revelry. Former German Chancellor Helmut Schmidt wrote extensively in his memoirs, Men and Powers, a political retrospective goes into great detail about the secret establishment running the world. The Trilateral Commission, the CFR, the Bilderberg Group, and of course, ladies and gentlemen, the Bohemian Grove, a place that he often talked about being a, well, a wonderful hideaway, a place to spend time with Nelson and David Rockefeller and to talk about world government and steering societies. On page 225 of Men and Powers, he talks about it being one of the most astounding places he had ever visited in the United States, and how that feeling intensified over the years with subsequent visits. The book goes on for page after page discussing the corporate, private, governmental infrastructure of world government.
1: Again, I'd like to recommend that documentary to all of my listeners, and I'd like to let my new listeners know that... Links to each and every document and video cited in this and, indeed, every episode of the Corbett Report can be garnered from my website, corbettreport.com. Simply click on the episode in question, and under the Documentation tab, you'll find a list of links to all of the documents cited in today's episode, sorted by Time Index. Well, that clip made specific mention of the Bizarre Rituals that take place at the Bohemian Grove. Well, specifically, what does that mean? Let's start examining that in context. The most famous ritual is the Cremation of Care ritual, which opens the Bohemian Grove each summer. All of the main whitewash articles and research papers talk about the Cremation of Care ritual, although predictably in a dismissive manner. For example, that Social Cohesion and the Bohemian Grove article, which I mentioned earlier from the University of California at Santa Cruz, the one that said that the Grove encampment is a bunch of guys kidding around, drinking with their buddies and trying to relive their youth, describes the ceremony this way, when talking about the first evening of the two-week summer encampment. It reads in part, quote, "...the highlight of the evening is the cremation of care." an initiation into the spirit of the encampment. It is all very fancy. The script varies only slightly each year. It is also a put-on, a mock of rituals, but it is a ritual ceremony nonetheless. Postmodernists might call it a meadow ritual. It is meant to signal that the encampment is a time for relaxation, drinking, and fun. It is a return to the summer camp days of their youth. To gain a sense of what it's like to take part, Imagine yourself comfortably seated in the beautiful, open-air dining hall. It's early evening, and the clear July air is still pleasantly warm. Dusk has descended, you have finished a sumptuous dinner, and you are sitting quietly with your drink, listening to the nostalgic welcoming speeches, and enjoying the gentle light and the eerie shadows that are cast by the two-stemmed gaslights flickering softly at each of the several hundred banquet tables. You are part of an assemblage that has been meeting in this redwood grove 65 miles north of San Francisco for well over a hundred years. It is not just any assemblage, for you are a captain of industry, a well-known television star, a banker, a famous artist, or maybe a member of the president's cabinet. You are one of 1,500 men, women are not allowed, gathered together from all over the country for this annual encampment of the rich and the famous and you are about to take part in a strange ceremony that has marked every Bohemian Grove gathering since 1880. Out of the shadows on one of the hillsides near the dining circle, there emerges the low, sad sounds of a funeral dirge. As you turn your head in its direction, you faintly see the outlines of men dressed in pointed red hoods and red-flowing robes. Some of the men are playing the funereal music, Others are carrying long torches, whose flames are a spectacular sight against the darkened forest. As the procession approaches the dining circle, the dim figures become more distinct, and attention fixes on several men not previously noticed. They are carrying a large wooden box. Upon closer inspection, the box turns out to be an open coffin, and in that coffin is a body, a human body that looks real enough to be lifelike at a glance but only an imitation, naturally, made of black muslin wrapped around a wooden skeleton. This is the body of care, symbolizing the concerns and woes that important men supposedly must bear in their daily lives. It is this guy, Mr. Dole Care, who is to be cremated this first Saturday night of the two-week encampment of the Bohemian Grove. The cortege now trails slowly past the dining area, and the men in the dining circle fall into line behind the hooded priests and pallbearers, following the body of care towards its ultimate destination. The entire parade, mostly white, mostly elderly, makes its way along a road leading to a picturesque little lake that is yet another of the sylvan sights the Bohemian Grove has to offer. It takes the communicants about five minutes to make their march to this new setting. Once at the lake, the several priests and the body of care go off to the right, in the direction of a very large altar which faces the lake. They are accompanied by a cast of 250 elders, torchbearers, shore patrols, fire tenders, production managers, and woodland voices. The major parts in this drama are played by associate or performing members of the club, middle class men with musical, theatrical, artistic, or literary talents. But sometimes very important men have small walk-on roles that show they are just one of the gang when they are at the Bohemian Grove. They are carrying a spear for bohemia, as the saying goes, which means they are chipping in, doing their part, being good sports. If the year were 1996, there would be three spear carriers doing a little add-on part. They are former president George H.W. Bush, actor Clint Eastwood, and fabled news anchor Walter Cronkite. They are playing the parts of lakeside frogs, and they are chanting like the frogs in the famous Budweiser TV ads of the 1990s, only they keep croaking, Cree-mei-shun, Cree-mei-shun, Cree-mei-shun. The followers, talking quietly and remarking on the once-again perfect grove weather, move to the left so they can observe the ceremony from a green meadow on the other side of the lake. Drinks in hand, they will be about 50 to a 100 yards from the altar, which looms skyward 30 to 40 feet, and reveals itself to be in the form of a huge owl, whose cement shell is mottled with primeval green mosses. This owl is the totem animal of Bohemia, found not only at the lake, but everywhere you go in the grove, and on shot glasses, coffee cups, and stationery. While the spectators seat themselves across the lake, the priests and their entourage continue for another two or 300 yards beyond the altar to a boat landing. There, the beer is carefully transferred onto the Ferry of Care, which will carry the body to the altar later in the ceremony. Once the ferry is loaded, the torches are extinguished and the music ends. The attention of the spectators on the other side of the lake slowly drifts back to the Owl Shrine. It is illuminated by a gentle flame from the Lamp of Fellowship, which sits at its base. Cremation? A guy named Dole Care, A former president of the United States playing the part of a frog and chanting Cremation? A totem animal and a lamp of fellowship? Strange, but true. You're starting to get the picture of just how hokey this all is. End quote. And again, don't believe me, go read it for yourself. That Sociology Department, University of California at Santa Cruz research paper about the Bohemian Grove... Yes, indeed, President George H.W. Bush was playing the part of a bohemian spear carrier in this mock human sacrifice and chanting cremation, cremation, cremation. But if you think that's important, you're clearly crazy. This sentiment is echoed by Peter Martin Phillips, who actually wrote a doctoral dissertation for a doctorate of philosophy in sociology at the University of California, Davis, about the bohemian club. In that doctoral dissertation, which contains a lot of information about the Grove and various events that take place there, like the museum talks, which are actually important public policy papers and speeches delivered by important public personages completely in secret and with a total media blackout, you can also read about the cremation of care ceremony. From page 52 of that doctoral dissertation, Phillips writes, quote, Club member Al Baxter cites this issue in his unpublished paper, Witness in the Woods. Baxter claims the cremation ceremony is not symbolic of the destruction of human sympathy, but it is meant to set aside the nagging and often unworthy preoccupations which inhibit openness and warm sympathy for human affairs generally, and for works of artistic and moral creativity in particular. The cremation ceremony may mean different things to different Bohemians, but the consistent theme for 84 years is the release of everyday mundane concerns for the brotherhood of Bohemian friendship. The ritual continues to be an important event in the annual Bohemian trek to the Redwoods. End quote. Wow, that glowing description kind of gives me the warm fuzzies. This must be a wonderful, uplifting celebration of the human spirit and camaraderie that can only be felt by men participating in mock human sacrifices in the redwoods late at night. If you don't believe me that this is all extremely bizarre, just keep in mind that last description and how much of an obfuscation of the real reality of what's happening here this really is when you listen to the actual ceremony itself. Again, this is from Inside Bohemian Grove, the 2000 Alex Jones documentary.
2: So shall we burn thee once again this night and
3: in the flames that beat thine empty, we shall read the
2: sign, Midsummer sets us free. Ye shall
4: burn me once again.
5: <laughs> now these flame, which hither ye have brought from regions where I reign. Ye fools
3: and priests, I spit upon your fire.
0: Oh, wow. prince of all mortal wisdom, Owl of Bohemia, we beseech
5: thee, grant us thy counsel. Fire shall have its will of thee beyond all care, and all the winds make merry with thy dust. Hail Fellowship's
0: eternal flame. Once again, Midsummer sets us free.
1: Well, you have me convinced. Nothing at all strange going on there. Time to move on. Yes, of course, the extremely bizarre and creepy nature of that ritual cannot be adequately conveyed by the audio alone. And I really suggest that you have to go and check out the video of that entire ceremony, which lasts, I think, around 20 minutes, maybe half an hour. It's, again, extremely bizarre, And it doesn't seem hokey in the least, especially when one considers the blood-curdling scream of the person who is being mock-sacrificed, keeping in mind that the people in attendance are some of the political power brokers who make things like the Iraq War happen. And then privately, in the Bohemian Grove's own grounds, in their private little speeches, boast that upwards of 200,000 civilians were killed in the first Gulf War. So the cremation of care remains one of the most disturbing aspects of the Bohemian Grove that's known to the public. But what are some of the other things about the Bohemian Grove which maybe are not so well known? Well, I don't know quite how to bring this up as it's rather a delicate matter, so why don't I let that most delicate and tactful of people, that diplomat without peer, Richard Nixon, put it to us gently.
5: Yeah. Yeah. You know what's happening in San Francisco. just so, gone. It's clear over, so, I yeah. don't know, but it isn't. It isn't just done in a part of town. But the upper class in San Francisco is that way. Yeah. The Bolivian Grove that I attend, one time at the time, the Easters and the others have come there. But it is the most faggoted goddamn thing you can ever imagine on San Francisco crowd because it, it's just terrible. I mean, yeah. I never want shake hands with anybody in San Francisco.
1: Now, I apologize for the poor audio quality of that recording, but for those of you who missed it, that was President Richard Nixon in his own private tapes discussing the Bohemian Grove, and he called it, quote, the most faggy goddamn thing you could ever imagine, end quote. Yes, that is President Nixon being his ever-tactful self and discussing some of the other secrets of Bohemian Grove. Now that's an interesting and enlightening statement about what goes on at the Grove, which is backed up by a New York Post article from 2004, which admitted that indeed famous gay porn stars were even flown in to service the Grove members. Again, that's the New York Post reporting on their page 6 gossip column. This is again backed up by another person who managed to infiltrate the Grove and reported for Infowars.com, who was known by the name codename Kyle. He actually got a job working at the Bohemian Grove, helping to serve these disgusting sycophants of power as they feasted in the Redwoods. And he reported this in an article entitled The Reinfiltration of Bohemian Grove, which came out in 2006. It reads in part, quote, According to Kyle, during one of the festival's revelries, known as Gypsy Jazz, the audience paused to thank the author of the music, calling him a wonderful jazz artist, but then booed in disapproval at the mention of the fact that he liked to spend a lot of time with women. End quote. And again, video of that moment is actually available online. I suggest you check it out. And check out some of the pictures that are available online of various Bohemian Grove members dressed up as women playing women in all of the plays that take place at the Grove, because, of course, as we've mentioned earlier, there are no female members of the club. Now, the point is that regardless of what you think of such activities, it is at the very least extremely hypocritical of these people, many of whom in their public life advocate homophobic policies, are going to these groves where they practice not only druidic rituals, but it seems other types of alternative activities, shall we say. And so we arrive at some of the more disturbing accusations about the Bohemian Grove. We've heard about the mock human sacrifices, and we've heard about the alleged homosexual activity which is rampant at the grove but that pales in comparison to the information which comes from Nebraskan State Senator John DeCamp. Regular listeners to the Corbett Report will remember Mr. DeCamp from episode 39 of the Corbett Report podcast, Who is Jeff Gannon? New listeners are encouraged to go and listen to that episode in the archives to familiarize yourself with the so-called Franklin case of child abuse, which took place in Nebraska in the 1980s. Again, that was run by one of the rising stars of the Republican Party in the 1980s, Larry King, and involved child prostitution rings, which reached all the way up to the White House. Listeners will recall from that episode that I urged them to check out an interview that John DeCamp did with Alex Jones a few years ago. Well, it's time to listen to some of the startling, shocking information that Mr. DeCamp revealed in that interview. You might remember that someone named Paul Bonassi testified to being one of the kidnappers of Johnny Gosh, and that he indoctrinated him into the child prostitution ring being run by Larry King, which also serviced the White House under Reagan's administration, reaching all the way to Vice President George Bush's office. Well, there was some other information that Paul Bonassi testified to when he was questioned about the Franklin child abuse case. I will let Mr. DeCamp describe this in his own words from Mr. Bonassi's own diary. Again, this is from an interview he did on The Alex Jones Show. And I must warn my listeners that the information presented in the following clip is extremely graphic and disturbing. Let's listen to Nebraskan State Senator John DeCamp.
2: But anyway, to get to the heart of the matter that you called about, as I understand it, I took simply the diaries. Paul Bonasti and I printed a good portion of them in my book, and one of them, one of the areas described a trip in, I think it was 1984, I can even read part of it here, in in fact, in which he was taken to an area around Sacramento, and then where they had the great big tall trees, and then they went in where there's some owl, uh, big huge
6: carved owl or something. And, yeah, when we get back, I want you to read that. Okay. Uh, Continuing, uh, you actually have the passages in your book out of the diary and then Well, I have a yeah. I have right here the diary. You
2: want me to read a little, okay? Now understand that I didn't know that the thing was Bohemian Grove back then. Nor did the kid when he was writing it. All he knew was he was taken to this place. Let me just read it. It'll take three minutes. Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. I went in January. Now this is Benassi, a kid named Paul Benassi writing this, and this is directly word for word from his his uh, diary. I went in January of 84 on every trip. I was paid by men King knew for sex. In the summer of 84, sometime, I went to Dallas, Texas, and had sex with several men King knew in a hotel. I flew on YNR Airlines, by the way, that's a private airline or just private charter deal, and Cam Airlines, another private charter deal, normally for King. I never had much personally to do with King, only went where he told me to go. In or on July 26th, I went to Sacramento, California. King flew me out on a private plane from Epley Airfield in Omaha to Denver where we picked up Nicholas, a boy who was about 12 or 13. Then we flew to Vegas to a desert strip and drove into Las Vegas and to some ranch and got something. Then flew on to Sacramento. We were picked up by a white limo and taken to a hotel. I don't remember the name of it. We, meaning Nicholas, and I were driven to an area that had big, big trees. It took about an hour to get there. There was a cage with a boy in it who was not wearing anything. Nicholas and I were given these Tarzan things to put around us and and stuff like that. They told me to, I won't use the word, uh, blank the boy and stuff. In other words, have sex with him. At first I said no, and they held a gun to my uh, genitals, I'll use the word, and said do it or else lose them or something like that. I began doing it to the boy and stuff. And Nicholas had anal sex and stuff with him. We were told to blank him, and stuff and beat on him. I didn't try to hurt him. We were told to put our blanks in his mouth and stuff and sit on the boy's blank and stuff and they filmed it. We did this stuff to the boy for about 30 minutes or an hour when a man came in and kicked us and stuff in the genitals uh, and picked us up and threw us. He grabbed the boy and started blanking him and stuff. The man was about... I'm not sure how to say it. The man was about so many inches long and the boy screamed and stuff and the man was forcing his blank into the boy all the way. The boy was bleeding from his uh, rectum and the men tossed me and him and stuff and put the boy right next to me and grabbed the gun and blew the boy's head off. The boy's blood was all over me and I started yelling and crying. The men grabbed Nicholas and I and forced us to lie down. They put the boy on top of Nicholas who was crying and they were putting Nicholas' hands on the boy's blank. They put the boy on top of me and did the same thing. They then forced me to Blank, the dead boy. It's pretty crude. They put a gun to our heads to make us do it. His blood was all over us. They made us kiss the boy's lips and de- Anyway, two other things. Then they made me do something I don't even want to even write, so I won't. After that, the men grabbed Nicholas and drug him off, screaming, they put me up against a tree and put a gun to my head but fired into the air. I heard another shot from somewhere and then saw the man who killed the boy drag him like a toy. Everything, including when the men put the boy in a trunk, was filmed. The men took me with them, and we went up in a plane. I saw the bag the boy was in. We went over a very thick brush area with a clearing in it. Over the clearing, they dropped the boy. One said the men with the hoods would take care of the body for them. I didn't see Nicholas until that night at the hotel. He and I hugged and held each other for a long while. About two hours later the men or Larry King came in and told us to go take a shower since we had only been hosed off at some guy's house. We took a shower together and then were told to put on the tars and things. After we were cleaned up and dressed in these things, we were told to put on short socks and a shirt and shoes and driven to a house where the men were at with some others. They had the film and they played it as the men watched they passed Nicholas and I around as if we were toys
6: and Stay right there. This is the New World Order. What do they want to do to your
1: This is the New World Order? There are no words to describe how disgusting and putrid that information is, but it's something that we must consider when we're talking about the Bohemian Grove. It's difficult for normal, healthy human beings to even contemplate such actions, which is why many will immediately try to rationalize away such information. It can't possibly be true. There's been no congressional investigation, no court case. I've heard nothing about it in the media. How can this be true? A couple of things to keep in mind. Again, John DeCamp is no ordinary person. He was a state senator, Vietnam War veteran, and an aide to the former director of the CIA, William Colby. This is not a man who tends to sensationalize the information he has. Another important aspect to keep in mind is that Paul Bonassi, who wrote that diary entry, did so before any of the famous footage of the 40-foot stone owl next to the lake in Bohemian Grove was released. And yet his diary explicitly describes the 40-foot stone owl next to the lake. That is the type of evidence that a jury in a court case would find quite compelling. And for another possible connection between the Bohemian Grove and the Franklin case, which we'll remember tied in with the Jeff Gannon phony reporter story where a phony reporter with no credentials got a White House press pass, one needs only look at the logo of the National Press Club. So where do we go from here? Well, the only place to go is to the people who actually participate in the Grove. We must go armed with the information presented in today's episode to let these people know that we know about their little secret society. Perhaps the best-known case of that was actually at the 2004 Republican National Convention in New York City. While filming his blockbuster documentary, Martial Law 9-11, Alex Jones encountered David Gergen on the streets of New York. David Gergen touts himself as a commentator, editor, teacher, public servant, best-selling author, and advisor to presidents for 30 years, and of course is a member of the Bohemian Club of San Francisco. There was a famous article in the Washington Times from June 11th, 1993, shortly after the Clinton administration took office, an administration that Gergen had helped get into power. That Washington Times article contained an interesting quote about the Grove. It read, quote, Presidential counselor David Gergen resigned yesterday from the all-male Bohemian Club three days after saying he would not run around naked at its annual Bohemian Grove encampment and insisting he would not quit. End quote. What an intriguing statement, and so it was that when Alex Jones encountered David Gergen on the streets of New York, he couldn't help but ask Mr. Gergen for an on-the-spot interview, and he brought up, of course, the Bohemian Grove.
6: In the fall of 2004, while in New York to cover the Republican National Convention, we ran into David Gergen, the Karl Rove of four presidential administrations. Okay, One last question. I read a Washington Times article many years ago where you had a comment about the organization, and then now it's been in the Wall Street Journal, it's been in a lot of different newspapers, and that's the Bohemian Grove. And back in, what was it, 19... Uh, 96 when you joined uh, as a Clinton advisor they were the Republicans were criticizing you oh what about Bohemian Grove and then you counter uh, and then you countered them by saying hey I don't run around in the woods naked what did that mean here is the before-mentioned Washington Times article where he said I didn't run around naked like they do
4: I, I don't I don't know what I don't know what quote you're referring to I'm not aware of any quote like that uh, listen uh, I, I am uh, uh, a happy member of the Bohemian Grove. I like the uh, the folks who come there, and uh, it's really inappropriate for me to uh, talk about a uh, uh, the group beyond that.
0: Thank.
4: Have you been there for the ceremony with uh, the cremation of care? Uh, uh, frankly, that's uh, that. Uh, I don't think that's something I need to talk to you about. Really? That's right. Well, I'm Alex Jones, and I snuck in there in 2000. I'm the guy that blew it wide open
6: and got the video, and it's been on national TV.
4: Well, I disrespect you for that. You do? I do.
6: There's a lot of big public officials going in there. You took, don't we
4: deserve to know? You, you took an under, I don't know anything about you, and I don't know anything about your film. But if you go in there with an understanding, you violated that understanding by releasing that film, and I don't respect you for that. Really? But you, we have public officials you, I'm sorry. You publicity. took an understanding when you went in there that you would not do that film. and you Did you have an understanding when you went in there? No. Did you crash it? Yes. Yeah, and it has no trespassing signs there too, doesn't it? No, they put
6: them yes, up sir. after.
4: Oh, I'm I sorry. Just in. I'm sorry, sir. I've been there before. I know what I want. The circumstances are, and I'm sorry you uh, violated the understandings. That was not. That was not a gentlemanly thing to do. But what
6: about the ritual? Is the ritual gentlemanly?
4: sir everything uh, you I, I, I don't owe you this comment I, know, I appreciate you, you, you you have you this is what's called ambush journalism and I disrespect you for that as well so thank you, you ever and goodbye been the that's none of your damn business oh right. listen oh. listen you go around and and make understandings with people and violate them you you ambush people on the streets and that's that's inappropriate form of journalism if you wish to practice that that's fine but don't ask others to respect you for it if you want to, you you can do. You're free, American, like anything you want. If you want to be uncivil and rude and ungentlemanly, that's up to you. But don't expect the rest well, of us to say, policy "Oh, well, you're in there, Mr. Gergen. I'm sorry, nobody sets policy in there. We try to be gentlemen, and obviously, you don't belong there. Weaving
6: spiders coming out here?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is
6: a three-pointer. Woo! Look how strangely he behaved when we brought it up. Why is he acting so secretive? And why did he get so angry when he discovered that we'd snuck in? You see, they take it very, very seriously. This is one of the hallmarks of the occult and secret societies. The word occult means secret. Secrecy is part of their religion. They revel in it. And when it's violated, they become extremely angry.
1: Well, now I can attest, I guess, firsthand that, yes, they do get a little bit testy when you bring up their little secret occult society to them. Now, those of my listeners who are familiar with We Are Change will recognize that confrontation with David Gergen as the confrontation upon which the We Are Change model of confrontation is based, confronting politicians, academics, advisors, people with public policy power, asking them the questions that the controlled corporate media are not going to ask them. This is the peaceful citizen's revolution of information which is going to change people's minds and set a new public policy agenda, driven by the people, for the people, without the secret societies, with their little rituals like mock human sacrifices that we're supposed to accept as just elite frat boy hijinks. Well, my message today for my listeners is simply this. What Alex Jones did in that confrontation was nothing special. What We Are Change is doing with their confrontations is nothing special. What I did in confronting Barry Cooper is nothing special. Taking the information that's publicly available and going out and talking to these people is nothing special. It's something that you can do today. The 2006 Bohemian Club member roster was anonymously mailed to the Alex Jones InfoWars office last year. The InfoWars staff put up an article last year detailing some of the members' names, and I took one from the university that I went to as an undergraduate, and I phoned him up and asked for an interview, and he granted it. That's all it takes. You could start this today. I want my listeners not to think of this as an entertaining podcast or a spectator sport, This is the type of information which is truly important and the controlled corporate media is never going to bring it to your attention. You have to take the onus to get out there and do it for yourself. I commend, encourage, and exhort my listeners to go out there and start doing these types of confrontations, taking the information that's been presented in this episode of The Corbett Report or in previous episodes or in your own research and confronting the people around you at the local level bureaucrats, politicians, advisors, academics, taking the public policy agenda into your own hands and asking the questions that you won't find your local reporters asking. Together, we will prove that this is a peaceful revolution of information which is blowing the minds of the populace and is resulting in the people of the world uniting against the encroaching tyranny. I leave you today with my message to Kissinger and Rockefeller. Thank you for joining me for the Corbett Report. Join me again next week for another edition. Is there anything at all that you can tell us about the Bohemian Club?
3: Nothing that you probably couldn't find on the web.
1: Okay, well, excellent. Well, if you uh, run into David Rockefeller or Henry Kissinger this year at the club, could you give them a, a message that the people are waking up to the real political power structure that governs the world and that the New World Order will not stand? (laughs)
3: Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to convey your message.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Dr. Cooper. You're welcome. All right. Goodbye.
6: Later, I'm going to play about a three-minute interview that a great researcher did. Bohemian Grove member confronted in telephone interview. That is coming up. Aaron Zellman, here's the Preservation of Firearms Ownership.